This is Daniel Figelli. You're listening to the AI in Business podcast. And in this episode, we're going to be focusing on inventory prediction and resource forecasting in the domain of manufacturing. Is Anand Maharkar. He is CEO of Findability Sciences. Findability has some hundred employees around the world. They've raised money from SoftBank, a firm many of you tuned in will be familiar with. Uh, and they operate in a variety of industries, manufacturing being one of the main ones. Anand walks us through in depth the data that is used and the workflows that are impacted when it comes to predicting inventory and also predicting resource use in manufacturing. I ask a lot of questions in this episode to make these use cases clear, and Anand explains things in a rather succinct way. I always enjoy my conversations with Anand. We had him on the AI Consulting Podcast some six months ago or something along those lines, and we've been in touch ever since. He's a Boston person just like me. And it's great that we're able to have him on the AI and business podcast as well. If you're in manufacturing or if you have any business processes that might involve forecasting, this episode, I think, will help you imagine how forecasting comes to life, what it looks like to determine the data sources you're going to use and impact the workflows you're going to use to make smarter, more informed forecasting decisions. And if you're interested in finding more interesting and novel AI use cases in and if you're interested in finding more novel and high ROI AI use cases in your industry or sector, whether manufacturing or otherwise, be sure to download our free PDF brief called Three Ways to Detect AI Trends in Any Sector. You can find that at emerj.com slash T3. That's T as in trends. And then the number three, emerj.com slash T3. And that's our free PDF brief called Three Ways to Detect AI Trends in Any Sector. These are some of our market research tools for finding the use cases that are hiding in different industries and being able to bring new ideas to life in your own business. So hopefully you find that resource helpful. And without further ado, let's fly into this episode. This is Findability Sciences CEO Anand Maharkar here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Anand, I'm glad to have you with us here on the show, and you were with us on our other podcast not terribly long ago, and today we're talking about manufacturing. You guys have been making your way into the AI and manufacturing space over the last couple of years. When you think about the trends that are changing, why this space is heating up, we're certainly seeing it. What for you are the factors that are shifting that's putting AI on the radar for manufacturers? So Dan, first of all, again, thank you for having me on of course. your podcast. It's really an honor to be with you and discussing this fun stuff. As we spoke a few months ago, just after pandemic started getting a little bit under control, we saw in 2020 a big shift in the industry, particularly in the manufacturing, that people are now interested in becoming self-reliant. And when I talk about self-reliance, it's basically the dependency on the vendors, the supply chain, the logistics, everything got disrupted, as you know, during the pandemic. But now... Everybody is saying, how can we solve this and how can we become resilient in terms of manufacturing processes? And traditionally, for last three, four, five decades, manufacturing spent a lot of money into automating their manufacturing processes, uh, getting robotics, getting computer-guided machineries, etc. to do that. But the data coming off that was never utilized. And post-pandemic, we are seeing a big trend that every manufacturer wants to see can I use this data and improve my quality? Can I get this data? Can I improve my productivity? Can I get take this data and improve my forecast on supply chain? So those are the trends we are seeing. And we have now a number of successful customers who have deployed this and got benefited. And then as you keep talking about that, there is not only just a financial return on investment, but our customers as per the Emerge model are looking for 
the capability as well as strategic ROI. And we are seeing that using this data, they're building AI capability, and that is a big thing for their future to get the financial or measurable ROIs. Fantastic. I mean, yes, and, and a good vendor is a good catalyst to building that capability, certainly by working with customers hands-on. That's that's the way capability is built. And, you know, as you had mentioned, the data streaming off of this equipment very much, you know, 10 years ago, probably completely unused. Maybe nobody was even thinking about it. Now we've got right. predictive maintenance. We've got inventory projection. We've got all kinds of things that we can start to do around quality of product estimates based on heat and vibration and other things happening in our machinery uh, that can allow us to run a tighter ship. And, and to unlock more capability in our organization altogether. How has COVID for you affected the willingness to adopt technology or maybe the, the places where they want to adopt AI and unlock the power of data? It definitely changed, Dan. As we all know, practically every manufacturing plant in every country came to grinding halt during pandemic. Yes. And as everything started coming back to normal, maybe there is a one particular vendor who was supplying one of the tiniest part in your manufacturing, let's take screws. And those didn't reach the factory and the entire assembly line collapsed. They were not able to supply the products to their customers. So everybody realized that some things they had assumed and taken for granted into their manufacturing processes has now completely challenged. And therefore, the way only to solve is that looking back into the data, looking into now the variables which are external, not necessarily just the internal variables, but what happens in China impacts manufacturing here in Texas. What happens in India impacts on something in Mexico. Yeah. So companies wanted to have that external data and internal data combine and get the analytics. So we are seeing a big trend post-pandemic that people want to use this data internally within their plants and combining it with the external data and become self-reliant. And that's that's going to take us into our first uh, use case very nicely here. The term self-reliant, I also imagine, is kind of a watchword in this regard. You know, certainly when we look at the manufacturing space, the feeling of how at risk we are, right? How how naked to the elements we are as a company really wasn't put on blast until COVID. And I think anything that that can kind of convince a, a customer, hey. This will improve your ability to be more self-reliant, more nimble in terms of having multiple vendors, in terms of having the best price or different levels of access. Anything that can deliver on that value prop, maybe the, the ears are perked up a little bit more now than they were two years ago because of everything that we've gone through here. So that takes us into use case number one, which is a good deal of the AI work that you guys work on, which is around inventory and demand prediction. Certainly for any manufacturer, uh, these are things that they have to manage relatively well to run a, a good business. Talk a little bit about what that process looks like today, and then talk about where AI and data are starting to unlock more capability. I feel like a lot of our listeners might not know the challenge and the processes of what it looks like just normally without AI. So if you could enlighten us. Yeah. So Dan, most of the manufacturing companies are not new to prediction per se. Okay. And uh, you'd be surprised, but 80% of the organization use a very common tool named Excel sheet uh, to do these predictions. And they've been doing this for decades. But what is really required now is demand sensing and not necessarily demand prediction. So demand sensing is a very agile process whereby, yes, there is an element of forecasting into it, but that forecasting is not based off some formulas but it's based off statistics, which is naturally the artificial intelligence and the data, which is internal as well as external. What are the socioeconomic situation? 
what is happening in the industry where i am working into what is happening into the raw material areas where we are working into so getting that data so what currently looks like is yes they do predictions they do forecasting they use the basic tools like excel sheets but the new requirement is demand sensing and the most common is really getting the external data because the world is impacting first time there is a realization that it's not just my internal data but the externally also it is impacting on my manufacturing processes and my business so that's a big change yeah that i mean it it is a big change and i can tell you just from our coverage of arguably too many startups we talk to a lot of companies here uh, but it, <laughs> but it's it's cool to be able to connect the dots you know we can look at what hedge funds and you know the advanced trading nodes within let's say Citibank are doing too to look at the shipping port volumes between these Philippine ports and Japan and helping to how that's going to affect the commodity price of fruits and whatever the case may be so we have that level of stuff we have companies like a Coca-Cola who are saying can i detect the sentiment around different products in different seasons in different geographies so how is Uganda versus Nigeria responding to this new product rollout and you know is there something that we need to do about that in terms of market messaging in terms of supply levels to going to different countries moving forward so these are things that are making their way this you know what we've sometimes called external search taking quantifying right. the unquantifiable right this stuff is inching its way into a lot of businesses manufacturing it makes sense but it sure does feel like a challenge talk a little bit about how we start to layer that data into our predictions because it feels very you know if i'm selling soccer balls what am i uh I'm looking at how popular the YouTube videos are of soccer in the last 7 weeks. I mean, you know, for for me uh the manufacturing is 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 a use case of this that I'm less familiar with. So walk us through how this can be leveraged. It's a very interesting question Dan you are asking. So let me since you talked about the first use case, let me give a real example in terms of what we are doing for one of the largest HVAC manufacturer in America. Now, as you know that in US four corners and in between the two coast the weather varies practically state by state like oh, yeah. here in northeast it's very cold whereas you go into texas it's warm so now for this hvac manufacturer it's not only about their historic data internally in terms of how much they are going to sell but as you talked about the main element is weather how weather impacts on to their sell and as we know the weather patterns are changing people's behaviors are changing in terms of how much air conditioning they want how much heating they want the second is like we noticed during the pandemic because working with this customer and post pandemic the construction of new houses impact on to the demand and supply of the air conditioner which is again intuitively you may feel yeah this is logical but when you go to the manufacturing setup they never had the home construction data combined with their internal data in terms of knowing that what's going to be my demand in northeast versus southeast versus Uh, on the west coast versus in the in the south so these are two example take the third is that socio economic status so because of like pandemic there are lots of aid and lots of money people got you would be surprised that the air conditioning spare parts sales increased wow because i, I would be surprised by that yeah because this spare money people thought of maintaining now their air conditioners which they never did it in the past few years so they spend this 200 bucks extra to change filters or get some components so there is a increase in the sale because of that so we could get this socio economic data the market conditions the economic factors in every state weather data house construction data new construction activities office complexes etc that is now combined and we are doing almost 95% accurate predictions 
on thousands of SKUs being supplied for the HVAC manufacturer. Huh. So, uh, I mean, I'll be frank, this is surprising. So the way I normally see these kinds of external search applications shake out is that they're used in some kind of a dashboard format to help with decision support in some way. Defense is another good example, right? We're following a terrorist organization. We want to see, we want, we have known entities and then we have the people connected to them on social who might become known entities and we're looking for topics and themes. And it's not like we're going to send a boat somewhere or a plane somewhere based on a tweet, but we have a dashboard. It's going to inform how and where we want to move. And that's kind of that. You're talking about these external data points correlating and rolling up right to price or volume predictions for different exactly. SKUs? That's, that's, what, that's what the innovation we have done. So we have gone back to three, five, seven years, and we collected this data on housing construction, weather, et cetera, et cetera, and created a unified. So then we call it as a proprietary model called CUP, C-U-P-P collection, unification, processing, and presentation. So in the manufacturing industry, these four words are very important. So the collection part is, yes, we collect external data, and then we unify. We unify. And that's hard. And that's hard, but that gives the real results. So as you just gave the example of the dashboard, yes, in the dashboard, I'm just showing you the buckets of data. They're not unified, really. But here in manufacturing, we are unifying. So for example, in March, if you did X sales, then during March, what was the weather temperature in uh, in Northeast? What was the socioeconomic condition? What is so we are putting that one road together for all this data, combining these millions of data points, and then running through the proprietary algorithms, whereby we can predict now ninety five percent accurate what will they sell? Honestly, okay, well, this is yeah, this is a really really interesting use case. I mean, the ability to take that data, present it succinctly, and say, hey. Here's the socioeconomic conditions and trends in these geo regions. Here's the weather predictions over the next two months. And weather predictions are a little tough, by the way. But you know, here's what we expect is going to be going on with temperature in these areas, these areas. To put that data in front of somebody in charge of pricing, to me, would make intuitive sense. But what you're saying is that data is rolling right up to recommendations for here's what we should be pricing these things at. Here's how many of these are probably going to go to North and South Dakota based on what we're looking at. Right. Wow, rolling rolling all the way into numbers. And I imagine a human being could look at that and say, ah, Dakota's always buying more of those things. We might want to do a little bit more. So I imagine this is human tweakable. But what you're, tell me if I'm right or wrong here, you're unifying these data, you're rolling them together, and you're looking at the past trends and saying, here's what pricing and volumes should be. And you can make the call, Mr. Human, but this is where you should land. And we, we feel quite accurate about that. Is, am I following you correctly? Yes, you are, Dan, exactly what you said. And this customer powers for one year, for 12 months, they ran parallel system. They went ahead with their own regular way of prediction and our predictions. Nice, nice, nice. And compared the forecasting for one year. And then hands down, they found that what we are doing is far accurate. And they stopped all their erstwhile methods and they're bang on this. And one more additional point, which may be very interesting to the listeners, Dan, is not only that we roll up in the numbers, but as you know, that we talk about explainability of AI in the world. So yes, it is more on healthcare and financial services. Definitely regulated areas, yeah. Right. But, but even for these manufacturing companies, and we were challenged by the executives saying, oh, why are you saying this much quantity? And then we told them and we our system can explain saying, these five variables are impacting in Dakota, or these seven variables that are impacting in Canada. Mm-hmm. And therefore, even their territory sales manager and their uh, distributors, they also now know that what is a potential cause and why therefore my sales is going to be down or up. 
Got it. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you can look at the features and say, look, Panic. here's here's how these things are weighted. And Panic. we're guessing much bigger quantities here because of these economic trends and because of what we're seeing for the weather and what the weather looks like it's going to be. I mean, 12 months of weather is really sketchy estimates as far as I can tell. But some things might be more concrete, uh, economic trends in some way. Just so I paint the picture, we don't have to, you know, uh, let the lid off of, you know, the, the whole proprietary hoopla here. But we're, we're speaking in abstractions. We've got external data such as weather predictions and forecasting, which probably only so accurate for so long, but that might have to do with temperature as well. Economic conditions and trends, which I'm not sure how that's projected forward, but I imagine maybe there's some data uh, around that. So we have we have those external factors. And then I imagine we have internal records of previous sales volumes based on different territories or regions. And so there's right. some combination of our own sales and pricing information meshed with these external factors to say, look, as these things start swelling, we think we're going to see sales. As these things start decreasing, we think we're going to see sales move that way. This is the right way to think about it? So you got it, Dan, uh, but for the listeners' understanding, let me just, uh, it's very complex, which I don't know how we can cover it in so many minutes. But yeah. when you're imagining that 12 years out, the weather may be not accurate, and you are right, but we really don't take the 12 months weather out. There is a feature engineering and data science where we are actually taking the historic weather patterns by shifting the data by three months, six months, etc. That is number one. Number two, and again, it's very complex to just explain verbally. Sure. I, I wish we have a video interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I imagine it's well. Not every, not everybody on the on the podcast listenership will will understand linear algebra if you start speaking that way. So I appreciate your ability to abstract it. Right, and and then second is that what we do is that in all this forecasting, it is repeated at a frequency. So, for example, if I'm doing weekly prediction for next twelve months out, those fifty two weeks are repeated after every week, and the way we give analysis is that how inching towards the date a closer week, how the accuracy improves. So I may be 12 months out, I may be 87%, but three months out, I may be 95%. Okay, okay. And that helps now the manufacturers to know at least directional accuracy is 12 months down, but they know that next three months is a very concrete information and they work off that. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Confidence predictions. I mean, it's kind of, you know, again, I think that's a, for decision support, it's really, really important feature for users. You know, we think about something even like a anti-money laundering. It's like, I can't tell you for sure this is laundering, but you know, it's, it's above this threshold. And you know, these are this, this likelihood, this likelihood, same thing in your case, it sounds like, okay, here's our confidence about pricing here. Maybe in some areas, the weather is much more unpredictable. Maybe in some areas, the economic data just has never been as strong. Government, the local governments just aren't putting out as much granularity as we'd like. So we might have lower confidence, but in some areas we might have more. So, okay, that all makes sense conceptually. And and I, I think this is a really interesting use case. I think when I consider who this might be relevant for, it seems to me like this kind of inventory prediction would be relevant for folks, not just who are impacted by weather data, by any external data. So, so if we, if we think about, I'm going to do a silly example from just my imagination, and then maybe you can paint one more yeah. light example to help the the listeners. But I really do think this is this is somewhat novel where you're headed here. Again, I use the example of like let's talk about soccer equipment. So just uh, cleats and balls and uh, shorts and shin guards and I, I don't you know whatever else people buy when they play soccer. So those kind of things. If I'm a, a manufacturer of those kind of products, I've got a lot of sporting goods stores. I've got a lot of agreements and arrangements with companies. I don't want to make twice as many soccer balls as I'm going to sell this year because 
I got to store them and they're going to, they're going to waste away and, and, uh, it's going to cost too much. So I've got the same problem every other manufacturer does. I need to make the right amount of stuff. Maybe for me, weather is part of it, but maybe there's other factors that I need to tune into in the external and internal world. What are other examples of big patterns in the outside world that you see being important for manufacturing prediction for individual companies? Yeah, so, Dan, I took example of uh, weather only because of the air conditioning manufacturing yes, business. Yes, for sure. Yes, yeah. relevant to it. Uh, but you're right that weather, as an example, need not be applicable into every. Now, taking your example of soccer balls, okay, let's just, since we are uh, doing some blue sky painting and some imagination here, but there may be a possibility that you can get some data of social media yeah. in each geographies and see the sentiment, tone, keywords, entities into each of these areas. And by the way, we do this for some other customers, not in manufacturing, but taking this keyword, entities, sentiment, tone on a topic can assist you generating more features to combine with your internal data. Okay. And then you can use that as external data to predict how many soccer balls you are going to sell it in Europe versus Asia versus North America, etc. And you can do that. And, and it is increasingly going to be important for manufacturers to look out and then combine that data with the internal data. So just one example was the social media for soccer ball. Uh, there can be possibility of the raw material or particularly the commodities which are being used in manufacturing. So the data related to that from the external world. So I don't know whether it is made out of leather or rubber or any material cotton required for that. Sure, sure. But those commodities status in the market or worldwide news related to that. So we, we do a lot of these commodity prediction that take worldwide economic news that what is the cotton consumption. So it's not just a demand on the outside, but even from the supply chain side, what are the issues which may impact and those data would be very useful for them. Yeah, this is it's exactly the kind of quantifying the unquantifiable that the economic traders want, right? Because if I know if I have a sense of where the price of rubber is going to go, I might buy or sell some tire companies in a slightly different way than I would if if something else was the case. But Correct. in this case, we're for manufacturers. These are pretty sophisticated applications. And frankly, it's not a 100% likelihood that every hypothesis we have about a data source that will be helpful actually will be, right? I mean, I'm sure there's some manufacturers who could say social listening and and Maybe they just can't find any combination of features that actually tie to, to sales. But maybe there's some other source. So it's there's a bit of R&D here, right? Yeah, that did happen to us also. So I'm not saying that anytime you just can imagine a database. So we went, we go through the exploratory process for initially some time. And that's what, again, when I referred at the beginning of this podcast, that as emerge model of the strategic and capability ROI is by experimenting with these data sources, they really are getting capability ROI. Because they are building ability to now test different hypotheses and see what works. Absolutely. Yeah, and that capability ROI is big in first three to six months. Once that is established, see, we, Dan, we have started with many companies with only 10 variables or 10 features. But in one month, we have thousands of features because we added some data, we deleted some data. We said, oh, this is working. This is not working. But you are right. It is exploratory. It is a little bit of R&D. But therefore, we call this as a data science lab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because That's part of the learning, it right? It is yeah. experimental to start with. And again, through well-known people like you, we communicate to our customers that AI is not just you bring some tool and do it. There is a there is an element of experiments and lab or research work is important. 
Well, I'm, I'm flattered as all heck to hear you referencing some of our, our thought process there. But yes, I would certainly make the argument that we should buckle up that this is R&D, and we should also understand that the ability to stomach R&D and to work through experimentation with subject matter experts and data scientists together is one of the biggest ROI of our projects, getting smarter and better at that process. And obviously, this is a process that clearly requires that level of collaborative thinking. So I want to get into our last use case. Now that we've talked a bit about inventory projection, you've been kind enough to run with my random soccer ball example. Uh, <laughs> that was very, very nice of you to do. The next one that you have here is about large bespoke manufacturing projects and where AI can be applied there. Frankly, I can imagine a number of different possibilities, but maybe you can tee up the kinds of projects you're talking about first, and then where AI may fit in, in terms of of helping manufacturers perform. Yeah. So Dan, whenever we talk about manufacturing, typically we just tend to imagine the B2C type of manufacturer yes. producing large goods. Et yep. But there are lots of manufacturers who are sort of embedded system suppliers or electronic component manufacturers. They're industrial manufacturers. They're, they, you don't see their brands and you don't see those products in the, on the shelves of the Target or Walmart. But these manufacturers have very, very complex products. So for example, if you want to develop an electronic chip for certain applications, it may take months or years to build that one chip, right? From designing to development to manufacturing. And it's a process. It needs tremendous resources, not just the monetary or financial resources. It needs human resources and that to right skills. It's not just you can throw any labor at it because you need special skills in terms of designing those chips and getting those out. Then manufacturing of those chips. So these projects runs into billions of dollars or at least hundreds of millions of dollars and years to go. So one of the area we have seen a big uptake in the resource forecasting. And when I'm using the word resource, it is not necessarily just a human resource. Okay, It is a computing resource. How many cloud instances I want? How many licenses I want? Because they use third-party licenses. They use third-party com- computing products. So large equipment manufacturers who have long cycles of developing products, they see now that the historic data they have stored, because they have developed thousands of such products in the past, and they have all that data stored, thankfully, in their system. So they know how many people were required, what skills were required, how much time went into it, etc. So using that data, now the moment there is a new project comes in, they would like to first know by AI whether I will need this skill or that skill, whether I need this person or that person, how much computing power I need, what resources I want. We are are seeing a major requirement in the industry for that. And so, yeah, again, this strikes me as, I mean... It's a place where we'd love better prediction. Again, you said there's gigantic resources on the line. It it harkens to some degree to something like drug development, where if you can tell me at any point the likelihood of this thing working out or not a little bit better than I have, that's great because this is going to cost me $3 billion to do. So at any point, it's going to be helpful. And it feels like for these large bespoke processes, such as you know in in semiconductors or designing some new chip, there's going to be waves of resources. And and if we can be a little bit better at predicting that, we can know whether we want to take the project, how to price the project, et cetera, you know, and how many people we're going to need. So clearly the need is there. The challenge yeah. seems to me to be the bespokeness itself. You okay. know, in our previous example, we sell a bajillion filters for air conditioners, maybe, you know, millions of them every year across every state in the union. So we have a, a an amount of volume around sales of that product that we can look at over time. This is a new process. How do we leverage AI to help dial in those resource requirements 
and help manufacturers better kind of allocate those resources? Yeah, so as you said, it's, it's a new area. And most of the manufacturers we are working with or we are exploring with, they are realizing that they have this data stored internally. We haven't yet figured out how external data would be useful for this resource management for them. But since they have the historic data, and since they have large complex specifications into the system, they can potentially now, at least as Israel said, be incrementally better than what it was. The risk of failure comes down by a few notches. So how they're doing it is really make use of their historic data, use the AI algorithms to train through that historic data. And then once you have the new project, put the specifications and on the fly, get the feedback saying that this is what is. And then there is a human intervention in terms of getting that feedback and fine tuning it to the next level. Got it. Yeah. And it does make sense that this would be primarily an internal data game. I mean, I can imagine in the future, almost any substantial financial decision will be in some way informed by these broad external search kind of applications, maybe. But I could see how this would be internal first. I'm going to extrapolate mentally how I think this might work out for the listeners, and then I'd love for you to just clean it up as as an example. You know, I'm thinking about myself as, as, a, as a manufacturer of chips, and I've got some new component I need to produce potentially for some toy company or an automotive company or whoever needs it. They need some new, very novel little chip. So I might say, okay, what are similar projects? Maybe maybe it's similar in size, maybe it's similar in type of chip, category, whatever that we've run in the past. And what data and information do we have about how many man hours went into those, what the cost of the raw materials were, what the time was for the design process, et cetera, et cetera. Even then, maybe I've only got three or four, I mean, maybe I only have three or four examples. Maybe I have three or four dozen examples. I probably don't have 5,000 examples, Um, especially if they're big novel projects. I probably don't have 5,000 examples. How is that going to roll up and feed a prediction kind of engine to to inform my processes? So Dan, the way I explain this is uh, rows and columns because even the listeners of this podcast may be able to visualize while they're listening. Yes, yes. you, You were really questioning about that my number of rows are less. I don't have many transactions because I don't have many projects gone into it. Maybe those are in hundreds, not in thousands. But what is really important here is the column. So you talked about a chip and you just talked about the specification in one or two or three features. You'd be surprised. There are hundreds of variables for each chip in terms of technical specifications. And therefore, your columns can run into thousands of columns of data. Your rows may be less, and that's the beauty of the new AI and what we also do at Findability Sciences is that my rows can be 150, my rows can be 200. But the more columns I have, I can find out the data dependency and interdependency of these data variables, and therefore we'll be able to forecast the computing resources, the human resources, et cetera, even if the number of rows or number of projects are not that high as you can traditionally imagine that you want millions of rows of data. Yeah. It feels like you're going sideways, you know, columns versus rows as you're framing it. There's some real bespoke hands-on work to determine which of these features we think we can reasonably track, getting context from the client as to which of these are really reliable, like the, which of these got taken in off of like a scratch pad. And honestly, we, we don't really know if they're all that good or not. And they may not reflect reality. I would imagine there'd be robust assessment of all the possible features here and then boiling that down and distilling that into... Maybe it's some range, some confidence range of human resource requirements, maybe a confidence range of design process uh, uh, requirements, et cetera. Am I on the right page here? 
Yeah, you are you are exactly right. So it it needs definitely involvement from the domain people who have historically handled these projects to understand which are the dependencies into the project. But you are right. We go through that. We clean up the data. We then create ranges or variables. We create some synthetic data also in order to just supplement if the number of rows are less. But yes, those methodologies are used in order to make some sense out of the data which is there. Got it. Okay, cool. And then the the end result here would be that we would take those various columns, take as many projects as we can that, that were similar to this one, and then run that through an engine to provide, again, yep, a reasonable estimate range. How are people doing this now? Are they doing something in Excel docs? Are they are they brainstorming over a table? Like, What's the alternative to this that you see inside big companies? You would be surprised to know that most of the companies do this in the in the boardrooms or the meeting rooms and the project team comes together and say, oh, we have a new project and let's say who is available and let's kick off the project. And therefore, they invariably run late. They run over budgets and they don't have really a forecast in terms of what's going to happen. Just one more point before, uh, before you, you know, ask this question is, Interestingly, when the machine gives the prediction, we have also introduced a new model, which I call it as a give-get model. So give-get model is once you the machine gives the range, saying, oh, you may need 16 people okay, for this project. But I know through my experience that this may need 19 people. Okay? So I can then try to change some of the parameters, which I'm giving now manual input. And in a way, you can call it as a reinforcement learning. Sure, so sure. I'm giving those variables on the fly and run the system again and see if it comes to around 19, if I change few parameters here and there. So that's the way the currently the people are using. But before AI or before someone deploys system like this, it's all done manually, just some imagination, shooting in dark, experience, wisdom. Yeah. Somebody's working for 35 years in the industry, therefore you yeah. actually can tell how many people are required, that type of thing goes on. Got it. Yeah, I mean, this use case, especially based on the thin number of rows, is for me new. And honestly, I'll be interested to see how these projects shake out as you guys, you know, publish use cases, et cetera. But I, I can see where things are headed there and the ability to even nudge a little bit, like I mentioned, drug development, just a little bit on something that's going to cost hundreds of millions. If there was promise there would, would certainly be a strong value proposition. So I'm glad we got to shake out that second use case. Anand, I know that that's all we had for time, but I sincerely appreciate you being able to join us on the big show here on AI and business. It's been great to have you on the program. Same here, Dan. Thank you very much for having me. Look forward for having some more fun like this. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Anand for joining us for this episode. And a big thank you to you as our listener for listening all the way through. If you like staying ahead of the AI curve with our podcast, then be sure to follow us on social, where you'll not only be updated with all of our latest podcasts, whether it be in manufacturing, financial services, life sciences, and beyond, but you'll also get to see all of our latest industry coverage, use cases, and more. That's just at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter, or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or on Facebook. LinkedIn has been growing a lot over the course of the last year. It's great to see many of our newsletter readers and podcast subscribers connect with us there on LinkedIn. You can find us again, Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, or just at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter. I'm glad to have you here as a listener. I look forward to catching you in the next episode. Again, this has been Daniel Fagel. You're listening to the AI and Business Podcast.